Welcome to The Bull and the Bear, a money and markets podcast. We give you the advice you need to know to make investing safe and profitable. With The Bull and the Bear podcast, you'll get exclusive access to some of the top thinkers, analysts, advisors, and gurus in the investment business. And now for your hosts, Matt Clark and Charles Sizemore. And welcome to uh, another episode of The Bull and the Bear, a Money Markets podcast. I am uh, Matt Clark. Glad you are with us uh, to close out this week and what a week it has been. Joining me today is uh, Charles Sizemore and then Money Markets uh, Chief Investment Strategist Adam O'Dell is also with us as well. Uh, so uh, glad to have you guys both uh, both on hand and what a, what a wild, tumultuous week it has been in the markets where I think Monday we started off uh, on a good note and then it has been downhill from there. And I'm not sure you can really lay all the blame on the Fed chair. I mean, I know that's kind of where it started, but I think there were other factors that, uh, that, that, that went into that. And I think as of now, I haven't looked of late, but the markets are, are, still, are still down um, as of today. So I think we're closing out uh, the worst week for all three markets since March, which is saying something because March was awful. Um, but, 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 but I think that, that brings, up, uh, I think it brings up an interesting topic, especially for, for investors. And I want to pick both of your brains on this. And you know, as an investor, whether you're new or, or whether you've done it for a long time or whatever, a lot of investors like to focus on sectors. Uh, they like to focus on uh, technology, banking, utilities, energy, whatever the, whatever it happens to be. It doesn't matter. I mean, they'll, they'll cross over a little bit, but, uh, you know, that, that's where you kind of, that's where your meat is. But now with, with markets being the way they are and the way they are likely to continue, which is downward, uh, by my, uh, my opinion only, um, I, I think it raises an interesting question in terms of what investors should be looking at if you are a sector investor, if you are looking at just investing in a certain uh, line of stocks, a certain type of company, um, you know, what you should be looking at. And I kind of piggyback this on, I, I had an interesting conversation with, uh, with uh, Joe Hargett, who is the uh, editor of Banyan Hill Publishing's Great Stuff, and we were talking about the banking sector and just how bad the banking sector has been, not just most recently, but back into 2019, the banking sector is awful. Uh, you know, we're talking about the big four are down 40% at least. Um, the, the one year return compared to the S and P 500 on the, uh, S and P banking sector is atrocious. I think it's minus 27, minus 28% compared to the S and P's one year return of around 2%, which isn't great, but still, when you're looking at negative 28%, it's awful. So it kind of got me thinking, okay, you know what, if I'm an investor, I want to know, you know, what, what should I look at? What should I look at? And, and then conversely, what should I stay away from? So I guess I want to start there, and and I'll start with you, Charles. I, you know, w talk about you know what sectors are, are you looking at? Why are you looking at them? And 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 what are you what are you thinking? What what direction are they going to go? Sure, sure. Well, I think you know, before you even drill down to the sector, you got to look at the overall macro picture right now. And you know, we're in what is seasonally generally a weaker time of year. You know, the old maxim: sell in May, go away. Um, that's more you know guidelines than you know, strict rules. There are plenty of years, of course, in which, you know, the, the May to, to, to October period is, is, is fine. You know, that, that ends up being a, a perfectly fine time to be invest, uh, to, to be invested. But it is a time when a little more caution is warranted. You know, the, the numbers are not as in your favor. You know, regarding the, you know, the specific sectors, a lot of this is, is still news cycle driven. Uh, you know, you never know, you know, one week, the, the news uh, coming down the pipe from the virus seems to be a bit more positive. Uh, you know, it looks like, you know, cases falling, the 
Wall Street's looking ahead to, you know, what does the economy look like when things start to open up? You know, the very next week, it's you, you start seeing negative virus news or, you know, for example, this week you had uh, the Fed chairman coming out and saying the economy is damaged. You know, this doesn't get fixed in a day. It is what it is. This there is damage done and that has to be worked off. So that yeah, that's what's kind of dragging down everything right now. You, know, you mentioned uh, the banking sector. It's one that, um, you know, it, it will bottom out at some point and it will start a new uptrend. But what's really been beating it up lately is there's no ob obvious catalyst. Banks have been beaten up because their interest rate spread is not particularly good right now. Uh, with interest rates, you know, basically back at zero, this, this, this sets the banks back years. Mm -hmm. They also have the potential for, of course, an uptick in bad loans. Now, of course, the government's been doing everything they can to, to help with that. But at the end of the day, this, we're in a recession. It's a strange recession. It's one we've never seen before, but it's, you know, no one alive today lived through something like this. I mean, you know, it's, and even the last pandemic, you know, uh, the Spanish flu, it was a very different economy back then. So even if there's some really old person out there that remembers the Spanish flu and I'm. That was 1918, out. man. That, that's a long time. They would have, they'd be over a hundred years old just being born then. So if they were old enough to remember it, that put them at about 110, 120. So not thinking there's too many people. Probably not. In that. But the, but the point, the, the, the point of the matter is, is that we are in a completely dif different economic time than we have ever seen. Any, any, any of us, no matter what our ages are, we've never endured, uh, or I say endured, that may be a little strong. We've never seen anything like this. And, but, but, you know, even dating back, you know, banking ha has, has taken a pounding. And, and I think you're right in terms of, I think you're going to see, uh, you, you've already seen companies draw down their credit um, in order to, to, to become cash, cash flush, if you will. It's not necessarily helping every company because even companies that have done it are declaring bankruptcy because they just can't keep up. But you mentioned the, those revolvers though, those revolvers that you know, when companies um, draw on their revolving line of credit, those tend to be safe. That's, that's the first in line to get paid. So if, if these companies come under financial stress or have to declare chapter level, chapter 11 bankruptcy or what have you, the bank's going to be made whole. I mean, I, there's very few cases in which they wouldn't be made whole there. The issue is those revolvers don't really pay that well. Uh, right. that, that's a very low margin business for the banks. That's almost something they just give away as a freebie to try to get other higher margin business like investment banking and, and what have you. The revolver is just a loss leader essentially. So, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, John Q banker right now, you're looking at your, 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 your biggest source of new business right now is low margin and the, the higher margin stuff, you know, IPOs, um, you know, new loans, all, all of that, they're not really, that's, that's, that's dead for a while. I mean, it'll come back, but it's, it's dead for, for the time being. Right. There is a lot of negativity baked into those prices right now. And, and, and banking isn't really the only sector that's being that's being hurt. And I think and it's an interesting point I, I, that you make in terms of the news cycle. And, and I completely agree with that, because if you just look at just this week. All right. First, you had the Fed chair who, who said, you know, hey, things are not going to get better anytime soon. Strap yourselves in. It's going to be interesting. You know, however, that kind of painted a negative for the overall uh, you know, market in general. It took but, the air out of it. 
you know? Without question, yeah. I mean, that was Monday was a high, and Tuesday was just a complete flop, and it's just been downhill ever since. But even now, if you drill down even further into news, you know, the last two days, uh, normally you would think, and, and, and especially in this type of a market situation, you know, tech stocks have, been, have done very well um, by comparison to, to their brethren in other sectors. But if you look at today, and maybe tapering from yesterday into today, the fact that now we're looking at some potential for increased tensions with, with China over whatever you want to call it. I don't want to, I don't want to get political about it, but the bottom line is, is that that negative news is now driving tech lower. And that's why you're seeing the NASDAQ take uh, a much heavier loss compared to the S and P and the Dow, because the, the NASDAQ is very tech heavy. And, and, and so that, that's a factor too. Don't underestimate though, just, just pure profit taking as well. I mean, tech has done so phenomenally well, as, as a general rule, tech has done so phenomenally well throughout this crisis that when investors are seeing, okay, you know, may, maybe this this trade is has reached the end of the line. This short-term trade, you know, these stocks have made their move. I'm going to take profits, or I'm just going to take a little risk off the table. I'm just right. going to, you know, capture some of those gains and see what happens next. So it, it, this could have just been that excuse. For them to sell and take some profits. I think that's justified. And I think another another rationale for that would be, you know, I think putting more cash in the portfolio as opposed to, you know, holding a 60-40 split or, or, or anything like that. Putting more cash in the portfolio, becoming a little more cash flush in your portfolio is not necessarily a bad idea. And doing that, you, know, you obviously have to sell positions and you want to sell positions that have made you that cash to, to bank up. So, um, but yeah, I think even tech, you know, bio, you know, pharmaceuticals were kind of, uh, you know, hit and miss, uh, driven by you know whether where where we stand with a with a coronavirus vaccine, things like that. Um, Adam, I'm going to bring you into this, and I want to get your take on it because I think I think you can provide a very good perspective. Not that you didn't, Charles. I'm just I'm just saying that thing. I think Adam can provide a, a, another solid perspective here. But in terms of sectors to look at, I, you know, what do you, what do you see in, in your research that you do on a on a on a daily basis? What what do you see out there? Sure. Well. Just to start with some context, um, I'm very much into sector rotation. It's a great way to take action-oriented steps toward beating the market. Um, I, I love Charles because he kind of come at this from two different angles. Um, what he was talking about related to the banks and their net profit margins and their their yield spreads and whatnot. Um, those are what I call strategic factors. Those are long-term factors that may make an investor want to, for strategic reasons, for long-term strategic reasons, either place an overweight or underweight uh, on a, on a particular sector, uh, like maybe underweight banks, uh, for the reasons that he that he mentioned. Um, I look at tactical, I look at more sector rotation from a tactical perspective. Uh, so when I did my chartered market technician studies, um, I studied Martin Pring. He had this, basically the business cycle sector rotation theory. And, and what it showed was that over large, uh, you know, of, over a full market cycle, you know, eight to 10 years of a bear market, a bull market, a top and a bottom, that typically you would see certain sectors outperform during those four different phases. So the topping phase, some stocks would do better, some, some sectors would. The bottoming phase, other sectors would do better, and then different sectors do better during contraction and expansion phases. Um, so I love the theory of that because it makes a lot of sense. And you know, all the sectors have different drivers or levers that make them do well or, or not as well in different environments. But the problems I found with that particular approach were kind of kind of twofold. For one, um, the, the full business cycle is too long. So if you make a, a calculation and a strategic long-term bet and you're off by a year or two, or that particular sector doesn't live up to its uh, expectations during that particular market cycle, 
then it's several years and it could be potentially a lot of money before you find out that you're wrong. Um, so, and, and then, and then the, the other part of that is that the market doesn't always follow that to the, to the T. Um, I've also shown during different um, conferences where I give presentations where uh, at each different market cycle, there's been a sector or two that have kind of risen to prominence and then th th that prominence has kind of faded during the next market cycle. So we've seen that with financials in 06, so 07, we've seen that with technology in the late 1990s. We've seen it with just about every sector where they kind of wax and wane as far as their importance. So for me, making a longer term strategic bet on particular sectors is a much more challenging puzzle and a much more difficult way to beat the market than taking shorter term tactical bets. Now, when I say tactical, um, I'm basically meaning um, we're, we're taking action-oriented trades. We're not trying to, to prove the market we know more than it. Um, and when I say short-term, I'm saying uh, basically swing trades, like two to three months at a time. That's basically what my Cycle 9 service is, is designed to do. We look at the 9 to 11 different U.S. market sectors, depending on how you break them up. And we basically are willing to go into whichever sectors at that time show the best promise over the next two to three months. So, again, we're not taking a really long-term strategic bet. We're taking kind of a medium to short term uh, tactical bet. Um, one of our rules is that we only buy into sectors that are already trending higher. We do that because it's safer to do so and you have a better odds of, uh, of actually making a profitable trade if you buy something that's already trending higher. Right now, of the 11 sectors, only two of them are buy qualified according to my trend rule, which is the healthcare sector and the technology sector. So we've made plays in those sectors on the long side, but most of the other sectors we're either avoiding, we're just staying out of, or we, uh, we are making very selective you know, short bets or bearish bets against the lagging market sectors. So that's one way on a tactical level that I play the market. So it's interesting that you say that tech is even is still showing a, a buy for for your for your cycle nine. That, that, that I find that interesting. But I guess if you look at that over over your term of 60 days, you know, 90 days, then I guess that kind of makes sense because you know, we're not just talking about today. Um, you right. Know, yeah. Whereas yeah, to often on the one to five to 10 day range, you're looking at a lot of noise um, where you start to get some fidelity in the data is in the in the one to three month range. So that's that's really the types of uh, analysis that I'm doing. So, yeah, over the past rolling three month periods, technology has stayed still strong. Um, it still is in an uptrend. It still has relative strength uh, relative to the other markets. And, and you do see that in the Nasdaq. You compare the Nasdaq to the S&P, to the Dow Jones, to the Russell 2000. Pretty much any indices um, you want to compare it to, uh, NASDAQ 100 has, has beaten them on the way up, on the way down, and on a net basis where we are today. So, you know, Charles mentioned some profit taking in my 10x profit service. We actually uh, had a partial position on uh, long the, long the um, NASDAQ 100 in a leveraged form. And between March 27th and yesterday, we were able to lock in a 33% profit. So that bounce off of the late March bottom was very, very strong. I'm not at all uh, surprised to see it kind of stall at this level. And whether it completely rolls over and we have a retest of the lows or whether we just kind of move sideways for a period of time, another few weeks, and then, and then move higher, I can't necessarily predict that. But um, I'm not at all surprised to see the rally kind of stall out of it right now. Now, the challenge here is that, you know, you're talking about, you know, using a strategy that looks at two months, uh, three months in that time frame. The problem is, and I'm not saying it's a problem with, with what you're saying, but I mean, the problem with the mind of the average investor is that they are locked into, you know, money and markets, Bloomberg, CNBC, you know, any financial, uh, the Financial Times, and, and these are driving different stories out every day that seem to have some sort of a, a an impact on one sector or another, whether it be we've got a, a phase two of a, of a COVID 
vaccine. So now bio, bio stocks are going up. Um, uh, the, there's a, there was a tweet overnight about China. Now tech stocks are on the way down. And I think that that is where you see a lot of the influence. It's not so much in people thinking that, you know, thinking down the road, down the future. They're looking at right now, here's what I see. You know, tech stocks are down. Uh, there's going to be a, a potential issue with China. So Apple is obviously off the table. And I think that's wrong. I think that is a wrong approach to have. Uh, you know, if you're a day trader, fine. But if you are the average investor, to look at the news cycle like that is is probably setting yourself up for a big fall and to miss out on potential gains uh, that could be much higher than you would realize. And, and so I think that's where the challenge lies is, is trying to be disciplined enough to, to, to hold on to a system that says, okay, we're not looking at today. We're looking in July, and in July, by the time our system comes to fruition, then this is going to be a massive play for you. This is going to be a, a this. You'll look back on this and think I did. I was very smart in that, <laughs> as opposed to if you if you dumped Apple today, likely in June you're going to kick yourself, or in July you're going to kick yourself, um, because new cycles are 24 hours. It doesn't necessarily mean that your market trading strategy should be either. Am I am I right there? Is that is that is that maybe a, a, a you gotta follow your rules. Yeah, they're, they're like a good trading strategy has rules and you have to follow those rules. Yeah, you have to follow the rules, like Charles said, and, and you're exactly right, uh, Matt, because most people look at the day to day news and try to make knee jerk reactions. They're always reactive to it. I've never seen a single uh, retail trader, a self-directed retail trader who makes a lot of money trading day to day by watching Bloomberg. Um, so really what we do in cycle nine is we put on a trade. It's a high probability trade when, when we put it on. Uh, we know that over the first two to three to four weeks of the trade, it's kind of a 50-50 bet. We might get knocked down by some bad news. We might get a boost by some good news. But ultimately, what we're looking to do is capture that second and third month where our high probability really kicks in. And a good example of that is I ended up uh, putting on a bullish trade recommendation on a gold stock. I think it was two or three days before the February 19th top. And so very quickly, within the first two weeks, we were down uh, quite substantially on that position. But again, my system said, we've only been in in two weeks. Your intention is to hold it for two to three months. You need to hold this position despite the news. You have to be willing to hold a, a, an underwater position. You have to be willing to potentially to take the loss to, to achieve the long-term results of the system. So we held that trade. It wasn't comfortable, but you know, gold stocks had really rallied like crazy out, out of the crisis. And we're now holding in a position that's up almost 400%. So had we sold that out off in the first week or two, just because of the news or just because of the initial drawdown, we would have missed that out completely. And that's really where a system, I mean, it was a miserable position to hold. I, I'm not going to say that I don't have emotions either, but <laughs> when you stick to a system that prevents you from listening to your emotions and doing stupid stuff. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I guess the way I look at it, and I could be very elementary in, in how I'm looking at it, is that, you know, if you want to realize a 400% gain like that, you're, you don't get it in one day. It, I don't know that I've ever seen anything like that happen. I, and I, you know, and I'm not saying that I'm well seasoned, but I have never seen where anyone gets a 400% gain in one day because the market, and, and I have the benefit of, of doing this on video as well, but the market does not move in a straight line upwards. And it, it never has. It, it sometimes will move on a straight line downward, but in, in its trajectory upwards, it's, it's very, uh, it's, it's kind of like climbing a hill. Uh, and, and it goes in that kind of 45 degree, 30 degree angle on the way up. Uh, and, and you have to look at it that way and you're, you don't get 
these substantial gains like Adam's talking about, you know, 400%, which is, I mean, I don't care what you're holding, 400% or how much you invested, 400% is, is big. You don't get that in one day. So I think investors, you need to be very cautious in terms of, of how you're trading. You've got to filter out things and you've got to realize that what's happening today is not necessarily the same as what's going to happen tomorrow. And I realize that Wall Street is driven by news. I think that's just, a, that's just how it is. You know, the advent of CNN and the 24-hour news cycle has, has, has driven that, has, has skyrocketed that. And investor panic, trader panic is, is driven more on Twitter, Facebook, and, and whatever's on the news. It's not necessarily driven by whatever's fundamental. And, and, but your investment strategy doesn't have to be that way. So, you know, to kind of circle back around and, and, and to, to talk about various sectors, you know, how, how does, I, I, this may be an odd question to ask and maybe not one I, I can get an answer for, but if I'm investing and I want to look at sector investing and I, and I want to look at, you know, how, how do I make the determination of whether this is something I should be looking at or not? And I throw this up to either one of you. Either one of you can, can take this and, and run with it if you so choose. Well, we like to say that we do the homework for you and make it easy and tell you exactly what to buy and what to sell. But if you want a, a do-it-yourself way, I mean, trend following is one of the simplest but most effective uh, strategies I've found. Uh, trend following can be as simple as going on to a free uh, website that gives you stock charts, putting on a 200-day moving average. And if there is a sector ETF that you're considering buying because you like it for whatever reason, um, check and make sure that the price is above that 200-day moving average. If it's above it, then you can consider it buy qualified, meaning that you can it's qualified as a potential buy, and you can look into it more, and you can look into the healthcare sector and figure out why you like to buy it. But first, check to make sure that its trend is positive. And one way to do that is if it's over its 200-day moving average. If the price currently is below the 200-day moving average, then you're in dicier waters. You have a lower probability trade of, of a bullish trade, and you have and you have more risk on the table if it's below the average. So I like to look at filters that are basically you're on one side of the filter or the other side. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and that's what, that's a simple way for a, a do it yourself or to look at sector rotation. Uh, right now, if you were to do that, uh, I'm not sure using the 200 day moving average, but I use a very simple trend rule myself in cycle nine. Again, we only have two sectors that we're looking at healthcare and technology. All the other sectors we're either avoiding, which obviously helps us a lot when we avoid energy stocks for that reason, or we're shorting. Like right now we have a short on a real estate, uh, tangential play. So real estate right now is below its trend and we're making a bearish bet against a real estate focused company. So that's just, that's just one way, but there are, there are many ways, but the advice is keep it simple basically. Right. And, and, and leading into that and, 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 and Charles, I didn't know if you wanted to add anything to that or. Yeah, no, I would add, you know, the biggest destructions of capital. If you want to just take a big stack of money and just light it on fire and just watch it burn, Try to catch a falling knife. I, I, I try try to call a bottom. Like that's the easiest way to lose money. Right. So whether you're you're a pure technician like Adam, or if you're more of a you know a fundamentals guy looking at balance sheets, no matter what your your approach is, wait for some sort of uptrend. And and you know Adam has his very precise way of measuring that. Um, you know there, but just wait for some sort of uptrend to be in place. You know, don't try to catch that falling knife. I mean, it really, otherwise, just put your money in a big trash bag, <laughs> light it on fire. And, and throw and it out the window. You're going to get there either way. Like, right. It's going to be the same result either way. So You're, just, you're, just, you're losing whatever you put in the bag, and that's it. Pretty much. Now, that leads me into 
you know what I what I want to kind of close things off on and 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 Adam you 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 you've talked about cycle 9 and and I'll tell you it is a it is a system that is certainly worth any investor taking a look at um because number 1 it's 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 simplicity and number 2 it's track record and I don't think you can really go wrong when you you know if I'm going to look at someone who's going to give me advice I want to know what have you done for me what have you done for other people and I look at Adam's track record, and I'm telling you what, I, you know, I, I don't see many like it. So, but I know recently, um, just yesterday actually, um, you had a webinar uh, discussing the, your 10x profits uh, system. And, and we've talked, we talked about this last week. Uh, we talked about it at length last week. But, you know, I, I want to kind of refresh people in terms of, you know, that approach. Uh, you know, and even cycle nine, because I think cycle nine is a very good approach to look at in a market in a market such as this. So I, I want you to kind of talk about um, first off, you know, let, let's recap. Let's recap the 10x profit service and then let's talk a little bit about cycle nine. Sure. Well, I mean, we can actually start with cycle nine because cycle nine I was it was basically the the impetus for 10x profits. What I mean by that is I developed cycle nine in 2012. It's an options trading service. Not everybody loves trading options. So I was looking for a simpler way to use the research that I was doing into the movements of U.S. sectors and global markets to figure out a simpler way for the average person to trade the booms and the busts in the market uh, using that type of analysis. So just again, as a recap, what I found in 2015 as I was doing this research is there were times in the market where all of the sectors, you know, the all nine or 11, depending on how you cut them, U.S. sectors were moving along together with not much spread between the top and bottom performers. And typically that was indicative of and predictive of a good market, meaning that stocks would continue to go higher with relatively low volatility. It should be an easy trade. You just stay in the market and let it do its thing. Conversely, I found that other periods of time, there was kind of this ballooning where there was a larger spread between the top and bottom performers performing sectors. We're seeing that right now. We're seeing right now over the past three or so months, healthcare stocks are still down about 4%, but energy stocks are down 34%. So that 30 point spread over a three month period of time is historically rather large. It's an extreme spread. And what my research showed was that in, in periods following those expansions of the spread, um, it was a bad time to be in stocks. So stock market returns were below average and the volatility that you had to suffer through was above average. So that was kind of the foundation for what, what I basically assembled was a very simple market timing model where we're either in a position that is long stocks when everything seems good, that's about 80% of the time, or we're in a position that is basically short stocks or, or really long volatility um, specifically. And then we were in that position a minority of the time only when we think that there's trouble ahead. So really that's another way that I use sector, anal sector analysis and sector rotation uh, research to drive that model. Um, but I guess what I'd like to focus on about that model is how simple it is. Again, my goal was to show the average retail self-directed investor that it is easy to follow a rules-based strategy. And as long as you have an ounce of discipline and you can just follow the model without second guessing it or trying to fiddle with it or re-engineer it, if you can just follow the model, then you can have success over time. Um, that wasn't my idea. That that idea actually came from you know a lot of uh, trading enthusiasts will know this story, but it's it's called the turtle trading story. And back in the early uh, 1980s, when commodity trading or futures trading was, was quite popular, more so than it is now, um, there was these two, two traders and they had a debate whether uh, successful traders were either born with a special knack, some special God-given ability, or whether you could teach you know, the average person of average IQ how to be a successful trader. And one of them thought one and one of them thought the other. So they, they did an experiment to see who was right. 
And what they basically did was they put an ad in the paper in Chicago and said, if you want to come trade our money, our personal money, um, you don't have to tell us your IQ. You don't have to take a test. If you just want to do it, come and trade our money. And we'll, we'll let you in. And they gave these people that signed up to, to volunteer a specific set of rules. And it was basically if, if this market that you're getting ready to trade is making a bullish breakout, buy it. And they gave them rule, very specific rules on when to exit the trade. Very specific rules. There was no discretion, no, no gut feel, no second guessing involved. And what they found was that they took people off the streets literally and made them a lot of money just by giving them rules to the system. And the ones that were able to follow the rules made money. The ones that for whatever reason tried to second guess the rules or come up with their own rules, um, they did not make money. And what that really showed was is that anybody can be successful at trading. All you need is a strategy that's proven in history, uh, a strategy that makes sense, like there's a reason why it works and a strategy that has crystal clear rules so you don't have to wake up every single day, read CNBC and figure out the feelings that CNBC gives you and what to do with those feelings. All you have to do is follow the rules of your system. And over time, you're going to have ups and downs. But over time, your equity will continue to grow higher and higher. So that experiment to me was like a light bulb moment. I thought if I can replicate this in a service where we either long the market or short the market, um, in just two exchange traded products that you can buy just as simply as stocks, no options required. Um, I thought that'd be a really interesting experiment. So that's what we started off uh, doing in, in 2016 with 10X Profits. And uh, we're still making new equity highs. We're still bringing on new people. So, um, and we, are, we always have a position in the market. It's a very simple position to hold and to buy into. And uh, it's been real fun. And I'll tell you what, you, you, you hit on the key and that is simple. It's not about being complicated. It's not about trying to run some algebraic uh, equation uh, to, to try to figure out what you should do today, Thursday, Tuesday. It's very, very simple. And, and you, I think as an investor, um, whether you're new or not, that's what you want. You, you want to boil things down to the simplest possible that will yield you the biggest gains. And I think that's what you get. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to spokesman or anything like that, but I, honestly, I mean, the track record speaks for itself. Uh, cycle nine and, and 10 X, both, both of them have that track record. Um, Adam does the work for you. Uh, so you even, you don't even have to wake up and, and, and turn on Bloomberg or log into moneyandmarkets.com. You, Adam's already done that for you. He's already, he's already doing the work for you. And, and so it's very, very simple. Guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut it off right there. I, I think it's been a great conversation to have talking about uh, uh, different sectors, how the market's doing, uh, you know, wh how, what investors should be looking at for real, not just you know, on the day-to-day. -day. And, and I thank you guys for, uh, for, for jumping on and, and doing this like we do every Friday. Um, any, any parting shots at all? Charles, I'll, I'll start with you. Any, any, any words of wisdom leading into the weekend? Yeah, I mean, I would just say, you know, stick to your investing plan. I mean, if your investing plan changes week by week, that, that's not a plan, you know. Uh, you need to have your plan and you need to stick to it. And when we have a lousy week like that, should you perhaps revisit your plan and rethink it? Sure, of course. But don't just pull the plug on your plan because you have one bad week in the market. Right. Adam, any, any, any closing thoughts from you? I'll just piggyback that systematic trading is designed for markets like this. There's always uncertainty in the market. There's always volatility in the market. It never disappears. Neither of those do. Uh, but at certain times, there's more volatility and more uncertainty. And what I found is that self-directed investors who don't have a systematic trading plan uh, typically are reactive to that volatility. They're reactive, overreactive to the uncertainty. And they end up chopping up their account, and um, you know it's a slower death than putting the money in the bag and burning it. But it's, <laughs> it's a death nonetheless. So 
Um, you know, the, again, following a rules-based system is, is specifically designed for this type of a market environment where we don't know for sure what's next. That's true. And, and there, we don't know what's going to happen on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday of next week. So kind of hard to invest money based on just trying to think, you know, what's going to happen in a day. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think the investment strategy is right on, uh, Adam O'Dell, uh, chief, uh, investment strategist for money and markets, Charles Sizemore. I'm Matt Clark. Glad you're with us this, uh, this week. We had a good conversation with Matt Batty Alley about gold. Yeah, make sure you revisit that. Uh, if, uh, if, uh, gold is, uh, is your forte or what you're interested in, we have that up on our YouTube page. Check that out. Uh, also, you can find the podcast on Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We are on Spotify and a wealth of others. But by all means, subscribe. Uh, give us give us a review. Let us know uh, what you think. And uh, we, we take that feedback uh, very seriously. So for Charles Sizemore and uh, Adam O'Dell, I am Matthew Clark. Until then, until we uh, speak again next week, which I'll tease uh, ahead. Not only we have Charles and Adam on Friday, but on Wednesday, Joe Hargett, the editor of Good Stuff with Banyan Hill Publishing, will be our guest uh, as well on The Bull and the Bear. So until then, uh, have a great weekend, everyone, and safe trading. You've been listening to The Bull and the Bear, a money and markets podcast. Tune in each week to hear insights on how to make investing safe and profitable for you. 